You're listening to the UFO Talker Podcast. Come with us as we explore UFOs from the past and the present. With insightful discussions, interviews, and reviews, we will add our voice to the mysteries that have been seen in our skies and oceans for all of human history. Now, here's our host, Michael Ryan. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. This is episode number 12 from Studio 7H. Here in a little bit colder and a little bit more snowy Ontario, Canada. On today's episode, I have Canadian investigative journalist Daniel Otis, who will talk about a UFO incursion of a NORAD base in North Bay, Ontario. And it was captured by military police on their cell phones and also on base security cameras. So that is very interesting, among many other things he talks about. Also, I have an eyewitness account of a person who saw a large cylindrical UFO on a flight from Texas to Ohio. But before we get to that, I just want to mention that the UFO Talker merchandise store is now open. Yes. So all you have to do is go to my website at ufotalker.ca and on your home computer, scroll down to the bottom and there'll be a red badge that says shop now. So just click that and that will take you to the store. And on your cell phone, go to my uh, website and scroll down. It's not quite at the bottom, but close to the bottom and you'll see the same red badge and you can click on that shop now badge and that will take you to the merchandise. And now the other bit of good news is that for the next eight days, there is 15% off all of those prices. And there's a black band at the top of the store page, which uh, has a button on it, which is which says redeem your 15% here. And there is lots of stuff. There is hoodies and t-shirts and baseball caps and coffee mugs and all kinds of stuff like that. It is Christmas, <laughs> or getting close to Christmas. And also that this merchandise store is also supporting the UFO Talker as well. So just remember that for the next eight days, 15% off everything. I know lots of people don't like commercials, especially on a podcast. But today you do not want to miss the commercial that I have for you today. And if you ever wanted to know why I was not a voice actor, <laughs> you will totally understand why and even if uh, you're not interested in commercials this commercial will bring a smile to your face and perhaps even a chuckle so if you're ready and I'm telling you now get ready because here comes the UFO talker merchandise commercial and it will probably make your day if nothing else so sit back, hold on to something tight, and I can guarantee you your world will not be the same after, after this commercial. So, yes, here we go. Say, Connie, what's this I hear about the UFO talker now selling merchandise? That's right, Roy. We now have an online store that carries merchandise with that swell UFO talker logo on all kinds of goods. You don't say. Well, Betty, what kind of merchandise are we talking about? Thank you for asking, Larry. We have t-shirts, hoodies, 
coffee mugs, baseball hats, and stickers. Tammy, do you think that these would make good Christmas gifts? Well, Bob, these would not only make good Christmas gifts, but they would also be an excellent way to support the UFO Talker podcast. Gee, Lucy, I never thought of it like that. Where can I buy some of this swell stuff? Well, Dwight, just follow the link in the show notes, or you can follow the link on their website at ufotalker.ca. Okay, June, what do you say that we go down to Bob's Big Burger and we grab a burger and a nice slice of apple pie? Gosh, Mr. Hope, you're such a hoot. My next guest is Patty from Ohio, and she has recently had an incredible experience on an airplane. So, Patty, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. And tell me about your experience. So set it up like what time of the day it was and what day and where did you see it, that kind of thing. Well, we um, had been in Mexico and we flew um, with a stop at Dallas, and then we were flying from Dallas to Ohio. And um, it was probably around five or six o'clock in the evening. It was daylight. This was just a couple weeks ago. And uh, so, you know, we were just sitting there and all, and they were starting to serve the snacks, you know, the pop and the snacks, the flight attendants. And then all of a sudden the pilot came on the loudspeaker and told everybody that they had to get in their seats and put their seatbelts on, that there was some turbulence. And he said, flight tents, you have to sit down and put your seatbelt on, too. So they, you know, put their stuff away and sat down. And we were actually in the row with the exit because you get more leg room, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the flight attendant was sitting in our row on the other on the other side of the aisle and facing the opposite direction of everybody. Uh, maybe that's something they always do. I really don't know. But, um, you know, my husband kind of made a comment, like, there's no turbulence. <laughs> You know, we were just kind of sitting there and, they, you know, we didn't get our snacks. We were disappointed. I was looking out the window and um, all of a sudden I saw something that I thought at first was another plane. It was going in the opposite direction, but it was directly straight out the window. Probably, you know, I was trying to imagine how far away, um, you know, like I was trying to imagine a football field, for instance, that would be 100 yards. It would be at least that far but not real far. And, um, you know, I was looking out the window and I thought, well, that must be another airplane going by us. And it was at a strange, I thought, well, it must be at a strange angle because I can't see any wings. And um, then I kept looking at it. It was, wasn't moving real fast, but it was still only probably a matter of 10 to 15 seconds, just sort of enough time to look at it and think, <laughs> what is this? And, um, you know, I kept looking at it and I said, well, there's no lights and there's no tail. There's no windows. It's just a cylindrical silver thing going, <laughs> going across the sky. And it was pointed, you know, like a bullet. Um, so, and, and I just kept thinking, what is this thing? So how, what is it? <laughs> how big, if you had to hold something in your hand at, arm, at arm's length, how big would it have been like um... oh, no, I, I was thinking it was probably as big as a plane because at first I thought it was a plane maybe it might not have been that big 
but maybe like a small plane. Um, it wasn't something tiny or small, like a blazement. It was shaped like one. It was like a missile kind yeah. of a look. And, um, you know, like I said, one moving real fast because I kept looking at it. And then my husband was kind of dozing off. But, and like, you don't have much time, you know. It's not yes. like I can pull my phone off, phone out and take a picture or anything. And I was looking around the other people. I was like, you know, thinking, is anybody else seeing this? You know, I was like, you know, so, look behind me. And the guy had his window closed and he was sleeping. And everybody was like in sleeping mode and had their windows closed. And I even noticed that when I got on the plane. I'm like, why do these people have their windows closed? Don't they like looking know, out the window? Because yes. I like looking yeah. out the window, you know. So you, so I saw that. So you saw ahead. this for um, <laughs> approximately 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. So it wasn't going real fast as it was, go- no. it was going by the plane, and you and you saw yeah. it clearly like it was a cylindrical shape, and I saw it clear as day because sun. It was sunny. It was blue skies. There was um, no clouds. It was just you know, like I said, it had no exhaust. It had no blinking lights like you would expect on a plane or anything. You know, a helicopter, anything would have blinking lights. It had no blinking lights. There was no window. It was just this. Very shiny, silver, cylindrical object going straight across from my window. Like I said, probably, you know, 100 or maybe 200 yards out. Um, That's why I think it was probably fairly big. And um, I didn't hear anything. But then again, you know, we were in the plane, so that wasn't hearing. But my main thing is I kept looking around like, why isn't anybody else seeing this? Like, I kept thinking, and finally I looked at my husband and I said, I think I just saw a UFO. He's like, why didn't you wake me up? <laughs> it's like, well, it wasn't enough time. I said, but I think it's strange that the pilot made us all sit down and put our seatbelts on and made the flight attendants, and flight attendants all sit down and put the food away. I thought that was strange that, that right after he said that, that I saw this. And I said, I told my husband, I said, I bet, my, I bet the pilot saw this. Did you, you know, did, did you experience any turbulence from after that? No, so, no, yeah. no turbulence. Yeah. It's, and we sat there strapped up for probably another half hour. I wondered if I was ever going to get my snack. <laughs> well, I probably, yeah. probably the pilot did see it because they're pretty aware of what's, what's flying around them at all times. There's, um, there's been, you know, this shape has been seen a lot over time, and um, it's it's funny you mentioned about the turbulence because I was just reading about a case that happened to a commercial airliner. Um, this was a few years ago, where mm-hmm. the pilot had to take evasive action, like the the mm-hmm. UFO was so close, he had to take evasive action, and a couple of stewardesses mm-hmm. got hurt. So it's very curious you mentioned about, you know, every telling everyone to put their seatbelts on because he probably did see it, you know, and he wasn't sure what was, what was going to yeah, happen. Yeah, it's like he expected. It's like he expected something to possibly happen. Is what I kept thinking. So have you ever but, seen anything remotely like that before? No, no, not There's at nothing. all. Nope. Yeah. No, I mean that's the thing. You 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 keep thinking about it. Like when we got back. Well, and the other thing is I really wanted to ask the flight attendant or the the pilot. I wanted to ask them. I wanted to say, did you see that UFO? Is that why we had to put our seatbelts on? <laughs> I wanted to ask. Yeah. But, you know, um, we really didn't get the opportunity. And, of course, once you land, everybody's pushing to get out and get their luggage. And, and I couldn't talk to anybody 
was when I got back home, I went online and I kept, you know, looking up stuff because I thought, well, maybe this has something to do with Elon Musk. You know, maybe it's yes. something related <laughs> to something that somebody's doing privately, you know, not necessarily the military. Although I certainly thought that it could have been something related to the military. But I kept going online and, you know, putting in in the search, you know, cylindric logic, what else is in the sky that's not a UFO? Yes. Because yes. I, I wasn't really thinking it was an alien or a UFO, but but it wasn't anything. I, I mean, it just, I just couldn't figure it out. So it, I've really been thinking about it, you know, ever since I saw it. I just keep thinking about it, you know. It's just in the back of my mind all the time trying to figure out what it could be. I just wish somebody could tell me what it was. The only other thing I'd like to mention is that when I was on searching for stuff, I saw where um, an American Airlines pilot saw and described exactly what I saw in February of 2021. Patty, thank you for telling us about your, your sighting, and thank you for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. My next guest is Daniel Otis, who is a reporter for CTV and Vice News. He has been reporting on UFOs in Canada since 2021. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great. I guess the first thing I want to uh, get to is something that is mystifying me, and maybe you have a better handle on it than I do, is does Canada have a policy on UFOs? Um. The, the short answer is yes. We have a policy of how aviation UFO reports ought to be handled. Um, so to, to sort of break it down a little bit, um, w- there is a company called Nav Canada. And Nav Canada basically owns and operates all of the civilian air traffic control infrastructure here in Canada. So if, you know, they're basically the ones in the airport towers, et cetera. If a pilot sees something unusual, their first point of contact would be one of these Nav Canada air traffic controllers. And Nav Canada has uh, very clear policies uh, for what to do for sightings of unidentified flying objects. These are called service procedures. It's an acronym short for communications instructions for reporting vital intelligence sightings. This is a procedural mechanism that was uh, developed during the Cold War by both Canada and the U.S. And it was developed ostensibly to sort out the sorts of sightings people were having at a time of heightened tensions when the fears of, you know, a Soviet attack were re- were very real. So, you know, these procedures were created to be able to sort out the sorts of sightings people were having at a time also when UFO sightings were sp- spiking. And uh, the procedures are still being used here in Canada Um the Royal Canadian Air Force also uses similar procedures. And basically what happens, there's no, there's no real UFO investigations in Canada, but there are reporting procedures. So these credible aviation-related reports get documented. Um, you know, all, once the reports come in, forms are filled out. Um, they're shared with federal transportation authorities, NORAD, uh, and the Air Force. There really doesn't seem to be much follow-up if any in most cases although there are some rare exceptions but yeah to answer your question we do have ufo reporting procedures specifically uh pertaining to 
uh, aviation-related sightings, like those from you know commercial airliners. Well, that's one um, something that's always kind of mystified me and others is, uh, especially in the states. I've talked to several people who so officially there in the past there was no you know the the Air Force US Air Force wasn't looking into it f- since 69 but currently they're I think they're doing something but for all those years they said no we don't really look into those but I've talked to several people who always felt that there was something happening but it was so secret that no one ever uh got wind of it. And I always think to myself, you know, there's a lot of smart people in the Canadian air force and the military and that kind of thing. And I always think there's, there has to be something going on, like kind of officially they always say, no, we're not really interested, but I mean, there's gotta be some, cause you know that air force pilots are seeing these things cause they're being seen by air force pilots all over the world. So I always think there's got to be something, even if it's, you know, not official, there's got to be some bright guy in there that is logging or keeping track or something. And I think that's the the $64,000 question, right? Do they really not ever look into it or is someone always looking into it? That's the, the well. mystery. You know, to sort of solve that mystery, yes, the Air Force does document this stuff. Yes, they save this. Uh, they save these reports. Yes, there's communication about it. But like I said, in most cases, there's little to no follow-up. Um, I have some, actually, I just, I have the aviation-related uh, procedures right here in front of me. Um, Nav Canada, again, the, the company that operates our air navigation infrastructure, air, air traffic control towers, et cetera, they, they produce something called the Aeronautical Information Publication, which basically outlines the rules and regulations uh, for pilots flying over Canada. Uh, they have a specific section mentioning these reports. I call it the Service Reports, Communications, mm-hmm. Instructions for Reporting Vital Intelligence Settings. And in this uh, procedural manual for, for pilots over Canada, it says these reports, quote, should be made immediately upon a vital intelligence sighting of any airborne and ground object or activities that appear to be hostile, suspicious, unidentified, or engaged in possible illegal smuggling activity. Then it gives examples of what could constitute a report. And at the very top of the list is the term unidentified flying objects, followed by submarines, surface warships, violent explosions, um, et cetera. So, we have these procedures. There's a specific um, Air Force squadron located in North Bay, Ontario, uh, that's tasked under NORAD with identifying all air traffic approaching uh, North America. They're the ones who receive these reports. You know, they, they have their own procedures on who they ought to contact. And generally speaking, though, these things sort of get shared around with relevant uh, government parties, and then they get filed away, never to be followed up on ever. Now, there are some exceptions. Um, you know, when I, I've been researching this topic for about the past year and a half, the first stories I think came out in April 2021, you know, after working as a journalist for a decade, I decided to dabble in this stuff a little bit based on all my, you know, access to information work. And, you know, when I when I contact the military, I've asked them multiple times if they investigate, and they say usually not. And, and their statement is, quote, that they do not typically investigate sightings of unknown or unexplained phenomena outside the context of investigating credible threats, 
potential threats or potential distress in the case of search and rescue, end quote. So that's the statement the military has, you know, repeatedly sent to me when I asked if they're looking into it. And uh, in my, one of my most recent story, which I did for CTV News, I basically sought to unpack that statement and using access to information requests, the Canadian version of FOIA, to find those cases where they were investigating credible threats, potential threats, or potential distress in the case of search and rescue. So our authorities don't really have much of an interest in, you know, so-called UFO reports unless there's some sort of clear security or safety issue at play. And some of these reports do have that. You know, we have cases of uh, airline pilots reporting having to take evasive maneuvers to avoid things, showing a very, very clear safety issue. And those get followed up on. We have other cases where uh, NORAD military radar detects things approaching the continent. Um, you know, fighter jets are scrambled to investigate. Again, those would be cases of an unknown object that have a very clear defense and a security nexus. I mean, but those are definitely the, it's a small percentage of the cases that come in that actually elicit that type of response. There's, um, there's one case that you, that was, you had reported on recently where you were, I think it was in 2016, you had uh, found out that there were actually, uh, CF-18s were scrambled to find, to look at this object, which I don't think they ever found, but. The, the couple of pilots had seen it and commercial pilots. Yeah, that, that was December 22, 2016. There was an American Airlines flight from London to New York. It was about 300 kilometers south of Goose Bay, Labrador, pretty remote area, when it, quote, reported a possible aircraft off its left side. Um, through access to information requests, I, I was able to find out that um, the aircraft actually reported taking an evasive maneuver. And once that was reported, um, the Canadian Air Force scrambled CF-18 fighter jets to investigate. Um, two other aircraft uh, also saw an object that was you know, described as being uh, a white light or a rotating beacon, something rotating, some kind of light. Uh, a Lufthansa flight, a Swiss flight, both over the Gulf of St. Lawrence reported seeing something very similar at the same time. Boston air traffic controllers report, uh, ordered all flights in the area to report unusual activity. CF-18 fighter jets were scrambled to investigate after this dangerous near-miss uh, incident. But unfortunately, the fighter jets did not see anything and they returned to base without making contact. But uh, this case was interesting because it was one of the rare examples where, you, you know, uh, a commercial pilot, American Airlines, sees um, an, an object they cannot immediately identify. And not only that, it's so close to them that they have to, you know, it's a safety issue and they have to perform an evasive maneuver. And then the military sees that as, you know, a, a clear safety threat that warrants investigation. So the, the, this sort of case is interesting, um, but it's, you know, and it really highlights what sort of threshold and what sort of context needs to be met in order to elicit a Canadian response. We, we don't, in Canada, our military does not investigate all UFO reports from a defense and security lens. And frankly, that's probably a good thing. I don't, I don't think we need our military to be investing money in, into this. Um, and it, it shows that they're being responsive and responsible. You know, they're not ignoring these reports because they might be seemingly weird or whatever. You know, with this case, there just was a, there was a clear safety issue and, and they looked into it. 
Do you uh, find that many Canadian politicians want to actually talk about this phenomenon? Because I think you have, I believe you've spoken to a couple of MPs, but from the main part, uh, they don't like to be asked questions about this. What's What's been your experience? Well, I have to say my, my experience is, one, it's very difficult to get a statement from our government about the subject, uh, especially one that sort of admits the validity of the subject. But there are several very curious individuals in our parliament who are, are exerting some effort into looking into this. Um, I know that there's been members of the Conservative Party, the opposition party here in Canada, who looked into the matter and you know, sought out information and briefings. I know there's members of the governing Liberal Party who are interested. Even there's members of the NDP who have shown an interest. I think chief amongst them is um, a Manitoba member of Parliament named Larry McGuire. He has really been leading the charge in Ottawa, and uh, I, I've communicated with him and his team uh, about the subject. And you know, they, they've done a lot of behind-the-scenes work. Uh, reading in other members of parliament from other parties as well uh, about the subject and, you know, the, the potential seriousness of it. So, you know, we're not, it's not like the U.S. where I think the politicians there, especially those on the, you know, defense and intelligence committees have given some pretty public and candid statements about the subject. Mm-hmm. It's not quite there in Canada, but yeah, we, we do have members of parliament who ha- are very interested and very knowledgeable. And, and yeah, like I said, I, I really believe it's uh, conservative member of parliament, Larry McGuire from Manitoba, who's, who's really been leading the behind the scenes charge there and trying to get other members of parliament and other people in government up to speed and knowledgeable and aware of the subject and the developments that have been happening in the United States. And then I believe it was your reporting that actually found out that Larry McGuire and a few other MPs had met with um, uh, Lou Elizondo in the in the capital, I believe, in the States? Um, my understanding is that uh, Mr. Elizondo has spoken to members of Canadian Parliament. I, I believe those were not in-person meetings. Uh, these were sort of digital meetings. But yes, uh, uh, Mr. McGuire, the parliamentarian, has publicly said that he's met with uh, Mr. Elizondo. Um, another, There's been another member of Parliament who is briefed by the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. Christopher Mellon uh, was part of one of those briefings. So yes, there, there, there certainly are individuals in Ottawa who have shown a keen interest in the subject, one, and two, who are pursuing it and you know talking to uh, the relevant uh, American parties. I, um, I have contacted um, Aaron O'Toole, who used to be the opposition leader in, in Canada, and, uh, and coincidentally enough, he is actually my my member of parliament in the area I live in. And um, years ago, I had spoken to him, uh, you know, had a conversation not about UFOs. And he phoned me, freely talked to me, um, you know, great conversation. And then about a month and a half ago, I contacted his office to get his uh opinion of UFOs and he was also in the air force to, you know, see if he knew anything else that he could pass along to the public. And he has never got back to me. And 
every time I call his office, oh, yeah, we're going to look into that. We'll get back to you. And I thought, okay, when it was non-related to UFOs, he got back to me within about five days. And now that this topic has come up, it's like, um, you know, oh, I probably not want to talk about that topic. <laughs> oh, I mean, how, how can you blame them? Yeah. Really, there, there, there's no political capital I know. Yeah. in having public conversations about this. I mean, if you're sticking your neck out there as a member of parliament to comment on this, you know, you can, one, be perceived as being wacky, yeah. right? And, or two, if you're taken seriously, you know, then are, are you actually calling for money to be spent on this matter? You know, Canada isn't the United States. We don't have these huge multi-billion dollar defense budgets with, you know, lots of secret money to splash around for programs. You know, we, we offer our military operates on shoestring budgets. Um, so, you know, there, there really isn't a lot of political capital in bringing no. this kind of stuff. And I, th I think that's why, uh, you know, especially with Mr. McGuire on the Conservative Party, his outspoken advocacy has been uh, really unique and really brave, precisely because there's very, very little to gain from, um, you know, raising your hand and sticking your neck out and commenting on this kind of thing in Ottawa. Yeah, there's still, I, I truly believe, especially in politics, there still is a, a stigma to it, even though in the States you see some some movement on that, but... I think in general, there probably still is a big uh, stigma to really getting connected with a UFO group or anything like that. Absolutely. But I, I do think, you know, in terms of ending that stigma, we might be a little bit behind the U.S., but efforts are happening to do that. I mean, look, in my case, for example, I, I, I've been publishing stories for CTV News on, on for their website on, on the subject. This is one of Canada's largest news outlets that doesn't typically engage in stuff like this. But, you know, by, by adopting a sort of no-nonsense documents-based approach that's void of speculation, just focusing on the documents that we've been able to obtain through our freedom of information laws, I found that mainstream media outlets like CTV are willing to run with this stuff precisely you know, only if if we keep it to, you know, what the documents say, what's being reported, and, and try not to get into any of the speculative realms that, you know, where one's credibility could be impacted. Um, so these conversations are developing in Canada. I think the stigma is being eroded, but it, it, it's slow work here. We don't have the same widespread uh, public consciousness of this issue and what the developments have been in the U.S. I think Americans are a little more aware that their government is looking into the matter. Uh, Canadians generally just aren't following this topic, in my experience, uh, and they're not really aware of some of these interesting U.S. military and government developments. But, you know, it's, it's changing. Um, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes advocacy happening in Ottawa. Conversations are happening. They are developing. More and more people are looking into the subject and talking about it. But, yeah, the, the, the stigmas are there for sure. Um, but really, you know, if, if you think about it, uh, what, what does a politician in Canada have to gain uh, by being uh, outspoken on this topic? The reality is they have a whole lot of nothing to gain <laughs> and, and a lot to lose. So, you know, kudos to Mr. McGuire and the others who have yes. uh, spoken out on it. Um, so in Canada, you are really the leader in the access to information requests. Like you mentioned, it's Canada's equivalent to the FOIA in the States. And 
I was wondering, have you ever, or have you put requests in on anything related to um, NORAD, which I always think has got to be the uh, the motherload of UFO uh, sightings because they are aware of everything that's coming into North American airspace, either from space, near the ground, anywhere. It's very elaborate, as you can imagine. Have you ever connected up with that with your um, access to information requests? Yeah, the, the, the short answer is yes, and extensively so. Um, American, in, in the U.S., American UAP researchers generally cannot get information out of NORAD through freedom of information requests. Uh, NORAD, for those who don't know, is a binational U.S.-American military organization that's basically tasked with defending North America. Uh, You know, it was established during the Cold War ostensibly to protect us from attacks from the Soviet Union, such as bombers coming over the Arctic or intercontinental ballistic missiles. And because of that role NORAD has for, you know, monitoring the approaches to North America, yes, they, they, they do get notified of UAP reports, and sometimes they track unidentified objects on NORAD radar. But because it's a binational organization, it technically exists above and beyond Canadian and American laws. So NORAD operations, for example, in the United States, there'll be, you know, separate, entirely separate NORAD facilities in, in Colorado, for example, where you just cannot access any information from there through the freedom of information system. The Canadian situation is a little different. We're actually able to get information through freedom of information laws from NORAD um, because our NORAD facilities are combined spaces that also hold, uh, that also house Royal Canadian Air Force personnel and others. So because we don't have distinct NORAD facilities, and the NORAD operations in Canada are in combined and shared spaces with other Air, Air Force operations. It means that we can access uh, NORAD data through the Freedom of Information System here in Canada. Um, since uh, February of, of 2021, I've filed uh, close to 200 Canadian information requests, and the vast majority of those have been to the uh, to Canada's Department of National Defense, and in particular. A main focus of my research is a NORAD-affiliated Air Force group located in North Bay, um, in North Bay, Ontario. I, I've already mentioned uh, that there's a squadron there that is basically tasked with identifying all the traffic approaching North America, and they've really been a focus of my freedom of information request because this is the unit that gets notified if and when a pilot files a report. And these are also the folks who are monitoring, um, you know, the radar screens for seeing anything coming in. So, yeah, if, um, filing requests and targeting NORAD information in Canada has been a main focus of my research. Yeah, I think one of your uh, your reporting found out that at the uh, Canadian Forces Base in North Bay, they had detected something and there was... Uh, people like the security police had have cell phone footage of it. And also I think the cameras on the base had captured it. Yeah, that, that was a case at that. So this is the base that's tasked with, you know, monitoring all the traffic. This is the base that gets all the UFO reports from commercial pilots. 
And on top of that, this base has had its own sightings. Um, the one you referenced occurred in 2007, where a military police officer saw sort of a large luminous object or light sort of hovering over the base. They took pictures with a cell phone camera. The base security cameras caught it. They filed a full report. Everything was entered into evidence. I'm still fighting to get the release of the videos and photos, but that I have would, the military. That would be incredible to see that. I know. But I have the military police officer's full report, which I obtained through our Freedom of Information system. And then I was able to track the military police officer down and get some additional comments from him. Excellent. And they, you know, so they said that there was over a dozen personnel sort of spilled outside the base to look at this thing in 2007. And then the same base, if you go back to 1952, uh, there was another um, big sighting there involving a pair of Air Force officers who saw something that was, um, that was moving rather erratically. It was really kind of a weirder report. So I, I find that very interesting. At this one base, we found, I found reports from 1952, then 55 years later, another report from 2007. And meanwhile, you know, this is the base that is basically receiving all of this data in Canada. There's something that, um, as long as we're talking about NORAD, I, I don't think is generally well known as you've mentioned that, uh, the North Bay base has both Americans and Canadians there, obviously. And I believe there's another base in Winnipeg where Americans are stationed there permanently. And at Cheyenne mountain, in Colorado, a third of the uh, people there are Canadian military. And the uh, there's a four-star general who's in charge of NATO. He's I think he's called the commander. And then there's a lieutenant uh, general, I believe, is second in command, like the vice commander. And at times, when the, the four-star general is not there, it's actually a Canadian that is in charge of of NORAD. So yeah. it's kind of not well known, but when you research UFOs and that kind of thing, you find all this stuff out. It's kind of yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are shared functions. We have any NORAD related facility here in Canada. Most of them, you know, a lot of them have us personnel here. The same thing in the United States, we have Canadian personnel in Colorado, NORAD headquarters. And the commander of NORAD is always an American, and the deputy commander of NORAD is always a Canadian. Yeah, it's it, it's a very it's a very much a binational organization that has a lot of um, Canadians and Americans working side by side for the defense of our continent. And I believe that is the only t- place on Earth where two countries share that responsibility. I don't think there's any other place in the world where this happens where they have a bilateral. Uh, group looking into it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not aware of uh, similar organizations uh, elsewhere. But it, it is. It's a pretty unique uh, situation that I think speaks volumes to the closeness of Canada and the U.S. The closest number of our governments and our shared interests. We have a lot of uh, shared defense interests, and uh, NORAD, I think, is. Is, is really shows uh, some of the great international cooperation we're capable of between our two countries. I, I think it's just worth noting, you know, we, we talked about there being procedures in Canada for documenting this stuff. I, I think there's, you know, there are procedures for documenting these aviation-related incidents. 
you know, looking into our, our federal transportation authorities, Transport Canada, they operate an online aviation incident database that's peppered with, you know, nearly three decades of unusual reports from pilots operating for American Airlines, you know, Air Canada Express, WestJet, Porter, Delta, you know, you, you name it, there, there's reports. Um, and I think, you know, through our freedom of information system, I've been able to get a lot of additional data on some of these sightings and reports. And I think it's precisely because in Canada, in most cases, uh, this isn't conceptualized as a security or defense issue as it is in the U.S., if you talk to any sort of FOIA freedom of information researchers in the U.S., they're going to tell you that it's exceptionally difficult to get case data and procedural data through the FOIA system because almost everything is protected on national security grounds. Uh, if, if there's sensitive national security information, that's considered a justifiable exemption from the freedom of information system. In Canada, 99% of the cases I encounter were able to get these documents precisely because this isn't perceived as a defense and a security issue here. And, you know, I've heard people commenting in Canada how they would like to see Canada create a sort of military UFO research program similar to the U.S. And I, I just, you know, to throw my opinion out there, I think that would be very detrimental and harmful to the, um, to the project of openness and transparency. Um, as soon as our country in Canada perceives this as a national defense issue, suddenly all the kind of case data that I've been able to pull is going to disappear on national security grounds. So I can't emphasize enough that we really, I don't think we should be advocating for a similar research program in Canada. I don't even know if we should have a program in Canada. You know, I think my goal is just to encourage our governments and military to be more open and transparent with the data that they have so interested researchers can pursue it. You know, we, I think we have to be very, very careful that we're not advocating for a military-based investigation here in Canada because that sort of investigation would run completely contrary to any pursuit for openness and transparency from our government. Does that make sense? That makes sense. There's one, there's one thing I wanted to add. I, in one of your uh, reportings, like this highlights what you're saying about you know going through the Access of Information Act in Canada can get more information than you would get from the U.S. Is when I was reading your report, it talked about an area off of uh, I believe it was Newfoundland. I don't know if I have that correct, but it talked about the weakness in NORAD. They didn't have enough radars there to firmly identify what was traveling through that area, and I thought. Oh, I guess this is this should be secret. <laughs> you know, it's pointing, yeah. pointing out something to the enemies that this is not an area of uh, excellent coverage. And I thought so. That points out something that the Canadian side has released that I'm going to say probably would not have been released <laughs> on the American yeah, side for for sure. You know, one of the, you're referring to a case in uh, November 2018 when. Uh, NORAD basically detected a uh, unknown radar track steadily moving towards North America. Uh, CF-18 fighter jets were launched to investigate. They didn't see anything. And then it was later determined that this false positive was created due to um, issues at a remote NORAD radar installation on the coast of Labrador. I, you know, one of the people, one of the people who reviewed the documents I used in that story was. Um, 
Robert Powell, who's an engineer and a founding board member of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. And, you know, one comment he said to me uh, very clearly was, you know, this is fascinating stuff, the, the, that these types of reports, you just wouldn't be able to get this kind of information out of the U.S., that it would all be considered exemptionable, protected information. So definitely be redacted. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we have a unique situation here in Canada. You know, our government is proving to be relatively transparent uh, and open with the data it has. But, you know, it's really hard to get statements from our government about the subject and there's no sort of official investigation. You know, I we're, we're actually in a good situation. I think encouraging openness and transparency is is more important than encouraging, uh, you know, a potential study that could cost a lot of money. Um, so, you know, I, 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 kudos to those in the access to information offices and the public affairs offices in Canada who are helping, you know, provide this data and helping interpret it. Um, we're, we're in a unique position here, and we have to ensure that this sort of data remains accessible to the public. Well, uh, I just want to thank you for your excellent reporting and with your inf- uh, access to information requests, you are doing an unbelievably great job in Canada. You're kind of the John Greenwald Jr. of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that compliment. Yes. I have a lot of respect for his, yes. his work. Well, thank you, Daniel, for being with us today, and thank you for sharing your insights. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Here are the Canadian Civil Aviation Anomalies for the week of November 7th to 11th, 2022. On November 7th at Montreal International, a Quebec Helicopters Incorporated AS350BA notified the tower that it had possibly crossed a drone at an altitude of 1,800 feet. The shift manager was notified. On November 8th, a Flair Airlines Boeing 737 MAX 8 flying from Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island to Kitchener-Waterloo Airport reported seeing a fox run out in front of them on departure from runway 28. No remains were found. On November 9th, a WestJet Encore de Havilland DHC 8402 flying from Nanaimo, British Columbia to Calgary International reported a green laser strike at three miles from final approach for a landing on runway 17L. The laser was from a moving vehicle eastbound on County Hills Boulevard. Calgary Police Authority was advised. There was no impact on operations and all flights proceeded to their destinations without further incident. Well, that's our podcast for this week. Please share, follow, and do all those good things to help spread the word about UFO Talker. And also visit our merchandise store and pick up one of those dandy t-shirts, hoodies, baseball caps, coffee mugs with that cool UFO Talker retro logo on it. And until next time, this is Michael Ryan. Keep watching the skies. You have been listening to the UFO Talker. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, you can email us at ufotalker at bell.net or visit our website at ufotalker.ca. You can support UFO Talker by using the Buy Me a Coffee app with links on our website and in the show notes. We appreciate every listener. Thank you for your support. This has been a Michael Ryan production. 30.